podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. We are continuing in our Luke series tonight, and that is pretty epic, I suppose. We're in Luke 4, uh, and we're going to do the first several verses in it, the story of Jesus going into the, being led, actually, into the wilderness uh, to be tempted. And so as I was thinking this week, you know, I'd, I had uh, done a lot of my study during the week and um, kind of, you know, re- researched different content and stuff like that, and I thought, you know, I should, I need to kind of take a break from the books, and maybe I'll get a different perspective on this subject. So I turned to my four-year-old. And uh, I went to Nora, and I said, Nora, tell me, what is, and I, 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 they're, they're old enough now that I asked their permission to tell this story, and she said I could. So, so I asked Nora, I said, Nora, what is temptation? And she goes, that's not a word, Dad. <laughs> I said, well, I, are you sure? It's not a word. I mean, she's, no, that's not a word. And I, th- I thought that was a pretty good uh, technique, you know. Um, and I said, well, okay, so temptation's not a word. You're, you're sure? Yeah, I'm sure. I said, well, what, what about uh, tempted? Is tempted a word? She goes, yep. And I said, okay, well, what, what does uh, tempted mean? You know? And she said, it's when there's something sweet and you want to eat it, but you can't. You know? <laughs> I was like, yeah, simple enough, I suppose. You know? and, um, and then Sophia will frequently from time to time tell us, you know, when we say, okay, you can't have any of this tonight, or like someone will give her a sucker or a piece of candy on Sunday night right before us school the next morning, you know, so we'll say, hey, honey, let's save that for tomorrow, you know, and, uh, and she'll say, okay, okay, dad, she, but can you put it up high? Because if I see it, I'm going to want it, you know, so they're, they're very aware of uh, the pull of this thing of temptation. Here's something I want, but here's something I can't have, and it's an interesting uh, awareness, you know, that, that, that at a young age, you do become, we do, we all have become aware that there are things in, from inside us that we want, and yet, from the outside, there is some sort of restriction. And we're trying to figure out, okay, so why, why is that? Why is there something about life? Why, why, why is there temptation? Why can't all the desires that are inside find an object outside? And why can't they be joined together? Why can't there be that thing? Why is something off limits? The idea of something being off limits, uh, we want to say, oh, surely that must be the result of sin and the fall. But if we scroll back in our minds in the Genesis story, there's something off limits in the very beginning, the, the way God sets it up. And then you think, this is kind of twisted. I mean, is this, is this sadistic? I mean, why would God do this? It's like, here's a garden, here's all the stuff. And then here's a point that John Milton made years and years ago, centuries ago, that, that, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is in the center right by the tree of life. It's like, couldn't you do us a favor and tuck it away somewhere, you know? Hope that we never find, put it up high, because if I see it, I'm going to want it. I mean, couldn't you do that? Why, why is it that we're not sort of told to run from the, 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 the notion, the fact that there are things that we may want that we can't have? What complicates this is all of us have lived long enough to recognize that a decision is not just a decision, but that a decision is really a lot of times like a turn. 
and, uh, and it sets us on a trajectory. And so at some point in our lives, we've sort of said, okay, I'm going to go this way. And then you go this way, and then that doesn't work out. And then you say, and all of a sudden, you find yourself on a trajectory because of decisions. But that you'd say, I wouldn't have made those decisions if there wasn't something in me pulling me that way. And maybe we could say, all right, well, <clears throat> you know, I met with a, with a man or, or earlier this week who was telling me some of his life situations. We prayed together, and there's a lot of, uh, the journey's going to be a long one involving lots of different pieces and people helping him. But we talked about the idea. I said, okay, look, here's my part of it. I'm, I'm, I can speak to sort of the pastoral side. I can't speak on the technical or the counseling or the medical or whatever. But, but, but there's something about a trajectory that we've got to change. And when we were thinking about that, and all of us care deeply about this, whether we've come to the place where we've, we've run on a trajectory that has ended us up in a ditch, or if we're sort of on the other side of it saying, well, I don't want to end it. If we're going to choose right trajectories or redirect the trajectory of our lives, we're going to at some point have to deal with this issue of temptations. Because this is where the decisions are made. And, 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 and Choosing the right one is going to help set us. This story of Jesus being led into the wilderness is remarkable for several reasons. One, that Jesus himself would be led into a desert to experience a place of temptation or a season of temptation is remarkable because it does mean that we can't say, you don't know what this is like. That we can't say, all right, well, that's fine for you to issue those commands, but you've never been here. Actually, he has. And so this story is tremendous because many times we find ourselves in these moments saying, well, ah, why this wrestle and why this tension and why this struggle? And if only it was easier and God, you don't know what it's like. And he can say, I was there, hungry in the desert with the enemy tempting him. He, 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 the, the, so that, the story is significant for that reason, but there's a couple of other things that I want us to look at about this story. The way it opens up in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. A curious follow-up moment to last week's triumphant baptism moment. If last week was the moment where Jesus is going into the waters of baptism and here's the heavens breaking open and the Father declaring, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased and the, the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove and you're saying, wow, this is amazing. Now it's time to sort of print business cards. Jesus, Son of God, you heard it. You heard it at the Jordan first. And yet what happens to Jesus is this withdrawal, being led away by the Spirit, by the same Spirit that affirms His Sonship. The same Spirit that affirms His Sonship leads Him into this place of testing. I want to be clear from the whole um, council of Scripture that we're told and, we, and we're, we're meant to understand that it is not God who is tempting, but God does test. And God does allow us to come into these places where the things inside us are exposed. And we're going to look in a moment here at Deuteronomy. You heard actually the Old Testament reading tonight where God says to Israel, look, do you want to know why I brought you through the wilderness? Do you want to know why I led you through that? I did that to see what was in your heart. 
this story actually of Jesus going into the Jordan, being baptized and emerging from it, and being called God's son, and then being led into the desert, this story is meant to make us think of another story. It's meant to make us think of Israel's story itself. You remember last week when we talked about baptism, I was telling you that, that part of Jesus passing through the waters and coming out of it is this similar, sort of this reenactment kind of embodiment. More than reenacting, he's, he's embodying Israel's story. And he's saying, look, just as Israel delivered from Egypt, coming through the waters, do you remember the phrase that Moses declares, that says that God is saying this about Israel. Do you remember the phrase that's used over and over throughout that first part of the Exodus story, what God says about Israel? He says, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So here is Israel, this, this chosen family being called God's son as they're drawing out of the waters of the Red Sea and being led into a wilderness so that they could be tempt tested. Deuteronomy 8, listen to this in, in the NIV translation, the part of the verses that we heard in our Old Testament reading. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. This is God speaking to Israel way back when, right as they had come out or after their journeying in the wilderness, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why do I say that Jesus is consciously reenacting, embodying Israel's story? Part of it is because in every temptation, at each of the three, he responds with a quote from Deuteronomy. He's very aware of what's happening here. For the people around, the ones that are, that, that are watching this story, they're, they're wondering, is this what we think it means? Is Jesus, if he is the Messiah, then the Messiah must in himself represent Israel's story. And so here he is doing it. They came through the waters of the Red Sea and went to the desert so that God could see what was in their heart, and they were hungry there. Jesus has come through the waters of baptism and, and is being now led through a wilderness to be tested, to be tempted, and he's hungry there. Jesus was reenacting Israel's story. Now take a look with me now, these three different temptations, and what, the way I want us to look at this tonight is we're first going to look at the actual event, and we're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to look at the ways that each scene kind of replays the testing that happened in the wilderness. We're going to be, try to be faithful to the story within its bounds in Scripture. And then we're going to say, okay, now let's revisit the story and let's see if we, as the people of God, how it replays, how it continues in us. Luke 4, verse 3. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone. When Israel was hungry in the desert, Exodus 16 records this story, and if you're interested in cross-referencing it later, you can make a note of it. Exodus 16 is the, is the Israel story in the desert that corresponds to this first temptation. And so here's Jesus being told, turn stone into bread. You're hungry. You're the son of God. Now Israel, when they were journeying through the desert, Exodus 16 tells us they were hungry too. But do you know what their solution was? Their solution was, let's go back to Egypt. 
Look, we're hungry. Did you bring us out here to die, Moses? I mean, that Red Sea thing was pretty cool, but now we're starving. We've got a little problem. And they're ready to go back, and Moses, this is the beginning of Moses thinking, oh boy, what did I sign up for, right? So Moses says, okay, all right, and then, and then the Lord says, okay, look, you're, you're so convinced that the way to meet this need that you have is to return. Let me show you how I am faithful. And it gives them manna from heaven. Imagine this food falling from the sky. I mean, we say that as like a joke. What do you think, man? Food's going to fall from the sky? You know, well, yeah. And not only that, but you had to not save it up because it was going to do that every day. For real? Okay. I mean, think about this. This is not a, all right, well, hey, wow, a, a bummer that we complained. Pretty cool that God showed up and was faithful today, and now we get to stockpile. No, the whole idea of manna was can you depend on God every day? And that's why that verse that Jesus quotes, and Deuteronomy, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is saying, look, 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 this temptation, and we're going to explore this in, uh, a bit later tonight, but this issue is about who do you think is the source? Yes, there is this, there is this hunger, but where are you going to turn? So here's Jesus reminding, them, reminding the, the devil of this, story and, and where Israel failed by complaining Jesus is faithful by depending on his father the next temptation in verse 5 and the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and he said to him I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to so if you worship me it will be yours and Jesus answered it is written Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, we're not told if the devil's bluffing. We're not told if he's correct. Jesus neither confirms nor denies Satan's claim to be able to give him the kingdom. I wonder how much Mary told Jesus. I wonder if the older he got, if Mary said, his mom said to him, I've told you the story of Gabriel, right? Maybe she unfolded the story to him in bits. I don't know. But at some point, maybe by this point, Jesus was aware that one of the things Gabriel had told his mother was that he would have the throne of David, that he would sit and reign, that his kingdom would have no end. And here's Satan saying, oh, that's your calling, right? That's your destiny. It's what your mama said about you. You can have it. Just do this. It's mine to give. Here you go. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't worship anyone but the Lord your God. Let's see. Was there anything that happened to Israel in the desert where they worshiped another god? Something, flannel graph. Golden calf. There's this moment in the desert where Moses disappears for a long time and Israel gets impatient. And the most frightening words that Aaron says to Israel is he says, he makes this golden calf and he says, this is the God who led you out of Egypt. The most confusing thing about idolatry is not when we blatantly worship another God, but when we think our God looks like something he's not. They were they were tuned in to, being, to worshiping a, the God who led them out of Egypt. They just didn't know who he was and what he looked like. And so they said, 
mm, how about this? Wasn't one of the Egyptians got a calf or cow or something? I mean, can't we, wasn't there a bull? Or, you know, maybe we'll, whatever the case may be, their te- part of their testing in the wilderness was to say, who do you think God is? What do you think God looks like? Who is this God that really rescued you? And so, where once again, where Israel failed with their testing in the wilderness, Jesus is faithful with his testing in the wilderness by saying, you only worship the Lord your God. The third temptation. In verse 9, And the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands. So Now this is the devil quoting scripture. He's figured out Jesus is sticking with Deuteronomy. So Satan's going to try some quoting of his own. And Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time, which is a fascinating verse in itself. We won't be able to unpack tonight. The verse that Jesus is quoting, again, is Deuteronomy, don't test the Lord. But it's referring to the story in Exodus 15, uh, 17 about the testing at Massah. And I... I, I was reading back into what happened at Massah. Well, there was one moment in Exodus 15 where Israel was thirsty. Jeez, hungry, thirsty. What's the matter with you? They're in the desert. Okay, they got nothing. And they're thirsty in Exodus 15. And what happens is Moses strikes the rock and water comes. You remember this? Okay. Two chapters later, I don't know how much time later, but two chapters later, they're thirsty again. And instead, you would think they would, they would have learned, well, wasn't God faithful? No, what they said, they start complaining again. And this time, God says, stop putting me to the test. In other words, don't you trust me by now? Don't you trust me by now? I just gave you water. I just gave you manna. And now you're at complaining again. And so here again, Israel's failure with their instance their their situation in the desert is one of saying i don't trust i'm complaining i don't believe what's going to happen now and god's saying don't don't put me to the test that's the lens that we need to have when we read this temptation of jesus because it sounds interesting satan's quoting scripture saying throw yourself down i mean it does say and Jesus is saying, look, 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 the issue is not what it says or doesn't say. The issue is I'm not going to live my life to keep testing God. I trust him. I don't have to keep throwing out things to sort of see what he'll do. I was thinking about us and how we joined this story. We've come into it. We, we've, we've entered it. We're part of it now. We, we look back. Israel in the desert is not an abstract that we can kind of uh, you know, sort of try to draw principles from. No, no, it's, that's our, those are our forefathers now, spiritually speaking. And so here we are replaying this, and we're now in Christ. How are these temptations like the ones that we face? I think the first one, the stone to bread thing, and I want, I've, I've written a, a few phrases here to put up on the screen. The first phrase is this. The temptation is to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. To say, I'm hungry, and I need something, 
And it, it was the same sort of thing for Israel. I'm hungry in the desert, but what are we going to do? Oh, I know, let's go back to Egypt. And it's really an issue, an issue surrounding our appetites. I don't mean just our appetites for food, but, but all of it. Our appetite for companionship or significance. And you can think of the different, certainly you can think of sexual appetites. You can think of the different ways where this comes into play. So is there something maybe legitimate that I'm trying to find, trying to address, trying to fill in an illegitimate way, in a way that I sort of think, well, I mean, that, that works. Can I do that? And that's okay, right? Think about this for a moment. Because I think the issue at stake is this question, will we answer like Jesus answered? Jesus' answer is one of dependence, isn't it? Man doesn't live by bread alone. Look, I'm hungry, but it's not just bread that I need. I need God himself. And the issue is, will you depend on God or will you force your way? Will you depend on God or will you force your way? Will you say, God, my dependence is on you? You know the, the, the appetites. You know sort of the, 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 the loneliness or the or the pain, or the this, or that. You, you know the things that I do legitimately need. I'm not talking about stuff I don't really have to, I'm talking about the way that you've designed us. I'm talking about the, the, the legitimate needs. But God, can I trust, can I depend on you? Can I believe that you are the source of it more than anything else? Think about how this plays out when we think about money, when we think about survival, food. Most of us, chances are, have not been driven to this point of saying, well, okay, well, I'm going to do something illegal or against the law. I'm going to steal food or I need to do this or this is because I've got to take care of my family or I've got to do this. Probably, odds are good that none of us have had to do that. But in what other ways inside our hearts are we, if we're really honest, depending on ourselves? Depending on ourselves to sort of pull through and make it happen. Well, ah, the reason I'm working overtime and just, I just got to, and the, if I don't, it won't. And I've just got to, and I'm not, obviously we've got to work hard and be faithful and all that stuff. But there's something in our hearts that says, man does not live by bread alone by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Is there dependence, even when it comes to our legitimate need, hunger, appetite, validation, approval, acceptance, significance, fill in the blank. Where is the wilderness that we are being led into? The second one, I think, is really, really interesting. The temptation here is to accomplish God's will by collaborating with the devil. Now that almost sounds funny when you say it that when I say it that way, right? But it has to do with our work. And what I mean by this is it's very easy for us to be these segmented beings. That our worship in church and with one another has really nothing to do with our work. That 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 uh, you know I want to get here and I've got these goals and God wants me to be blessed. I mean doesn't God want me to you know? and so we've got 
these God-given sort of ideas of where we're supposed to end up, but we're willing, we don't think about the path that we get there. In essence, this temptation of Satan saying to Jesus, look, bow down, worship me, and then you can have it, is he's, he's saying, look, you can get to what you want quicker. Here's a shortcut. I don't know if you have any awareness or sense of the real path that this is going to take, but it's going to involve a cross. And it's much more painful and bloody and, and, and messy and, 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 gosh, painful. And forget that. Just bow and, and, and do this. And I wonder... If we're, tying, if we're tying this back into Israel and their golden calf and saying that they shaped a God in an image that they were comfortable with, have we shaped a God that tells us, yeah, get to your goals, get to your dreams, no matter what you have to do to get there? When I used to teach at the school of worship, I know a lot of school of worship students here, that the, one of the big challenges when you go out and you start to look for jobs is, you have this sense in your heart that God has maybe called you to lead people in worship, but you're going to be faced with these temptations of saying, oh, well, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I need to do this to get there. And, and maybe I can be a little bit more cutthroat or self-promoting, or maybe I can do this, or maybe if I, if I just sort of talked about myself enough, maybe, I'll maybe these are the ways that I can get to the place of influence. How many pastors have believed the lie that, Look, I, I want a bigger church, and I want a bigger platform, and I want to be on TV, and I want to, oh, because I want to reach the lost. But are you bowing down to a golden calf? How much of vision casting in the name of God is really calf making? How much of saying, this is my goal, and this is what we're going to do, is really calf making in the name of Jesus? And we're saying, well, God wants that for me, right? So I ought to do that. Greg told me a story several months ago about a friend who was, was fired as a worship leader for no failure on, on their part, but just because uh, they weren't the kind of person that would grow the church to where the pastor wanted it to go. That decision in itself, you can question, I suppose, but it wasn't even handled in, in, in a particular way. And... and, and when push came to shove, the pastor sort of responded with, hey man, I'm in a war zone. I've got, I've, got a, I've got to advance the kingdom so people don't matter. So as long as we get there, we can fashion a God in our image to do that. We can worship someone. Can we do that? What about work? So, well, no, listen, my goal, man, my goal from day one was to be a successful business person so that I can give my money to the church. Bless you. Give my money away to a mission. This is my goal. Okay, wonderful. But, so, but because that's my goal, then you, you don't understand, Pastor. You're not a business person. So, so when I'm out there, these are the kinds of practices I have to do, and these are the little white lies I have to tell, and this is the stuff I have to do. Because, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's right or wrong, and really I don't ask those questions I'm in business mode. You know, like that line from the Godfather, whatever, it's not personal, it's business. That dichotomy doesn't exist when you follow Christ. You can't say that. You can't say, you can't have like church bill and then like business bill. You know, I was talking with a friend who's a consultant among different companies and he was talking about a, an encounter that he had with a guy who was a, who was a respectable Christian leader guy, like was led small groups or men's groups or something like that. And then he, they had this meeting out in the marketplace, which is such a convenient word to 
divorce us from church, right? Oh, no, well, that, well that's marketplace. And, and he's about to make decisions, and this guy was like, hey, man, whoa, I almost don't recognize you. And he's like, oh, no, 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 man, I'm in, I'm in business mode. Really? Is there business bill and then church bill? Or does our work need to become part of our worship? Because Jesus' response when Satan says, you can get to your goal if you worship me, Jesus' response is, I'm not worshiping anyone but the Lord God. That needs to be our response when we say, well, look, well, well listen, hasn't, doesn't God want you to provide for your family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so why don't you just do this, and why don't you just take this turn, and why don't you make this decision? And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're not worshiping Jesus. You're worshiping a God you fashioned with your own gold. The temptation here is, can our work be met with worship? The issue is, will we worship God or a God that we have shaped? How do we answer this temptation? To accomplish God's will by collaborating with the devil? Or does the way we work matter? Is the, does the way we work fall into our worship? I think Jesus is telling us it does. I think Jesus is telling us that the way to the kingdom, the way to the throne goes through the cross. That the way that he's going to get to this place is the same way we're going to get to those places. I, I, I'm, I'm nervous about the obsession that we have with the dreams that God has given us. Because I think we've, we, we have an easy tendency to run away with that. What's the dream? What's the dream? What's the dream? Great, great, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But follow up, what's the dream with where's the cross? Follow up, what's the dream with where's the cross? Because it's not enough. Because if you don't follow it up, then you'll say, what's the dream? Well, my dream is to be used by God. And then you run over people and, and, and manipulate others and do all this stuff all on the way to the dream that God gave me. But God's way of getting there always involves the cross. The third temptation is, I think maybe could be worded like this, to dazzle people by treating God like a magician. Ooh. And it has to do with our protection in some ways. This would have been a wonderful trick for Jesus to do. Do you know that every time people demanded miracles from Jesus as a sort of dazzle act, he wouldn't do it? Now that's interesting. Luke records a lot of miracles, and he gives us particular details about it, perhaps because if this is the Luke that is the doctor, perhaps that's why. But you know something else? In Acts, which Luke also wrote, which Luke and Acts, two separate scrolls, but, but were meant to sort of be paired together, kind of a, a two-volume set. In Acts, Luke talks about a lot of miracles as well. But you know, Luke makes this point in the book of Acts to talk about magicians and magic. And he talk, makes a point to talk about magicians coming to Jesus, or coming to Christ through the apostles' preaching and, and, and renouncing their magic. Now, why is Luke doing this? Let me say this about it. As, Christian, as the church began to distance themselves or differentiate themselves, I guess, from Judaism and from the Jewish tradition and, and spread to the Gentiles and spread throughout the empire outside of Palestine, you have a lot of people asking, who are these people? 
Who do they believe in again? What? We've heard of Judaism. That's been around a long time. But, and they began to look at Christians with this s- suspicion, with this, is that legit? I mean, they, they don't do any of our religion stuff. And they, yeah. So, so there, was, there was, to some degree, some people who saw these miracles and thought, oh, Christians, they're kind of like the, mirac- the magic guys. They're like uh, Simon the Sorcerer. They're, you know, the apostles, they're just like magicians. And Luke is making a point to distinguish the apostles from the magicians and miracles from magic because he's trying to say they're different. It doesn't work like magic. Now think for a moment how magic works. Magic is about you being in control of a situation. How does a miracle work? It's about God demonstrating his reign, his control in a situation. So what happens if a Christian tries to use a miracle or the name of Jesus like a magic incantation? Doesn't work, does it? This is why, this is the, why Luke tells us that story in Acts about the Simon the Sorcerer saying, oh, how can I get that? How much? How much for that trick? They say, may you perish with your money. I don't want none of that. Satan is trying to tempt Jesus in a similar way. Okay, Jesus, Son of God, it's just been declared. Razzle, dazzle, do something. Show us that, you're, that you've got the world on your fingertips. And he says, that, it's, that's not how it works. We're not testing God here. And the issue is, will we trust God or insist on our way? We trust him, will we test him? We trust him or we will try to use God like magic. But he's not magic. I believe in the supernatural. But oh my, the supernatural we believe in is far different than magic. It's not about us controlling. It's about us trusting. Here's Israel in the desert. Remember, God again, we need water. And Moses is like, ay, yeah, yeah. we just did the thing with the rock. You want to see it again? And God says, why are you testing me? This is tough. Because when it comes to our protection, I, like anyone else, wants to know. I want to know. God, are you going to come through? Are you going to do something? Are you going to, you know, I mean, hey. What if God is saying, you don't need to put me to the test. You don't need to dazzle anybody. I just need you to trust that I'm still walking with you through the desert. That I'm still with you, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led into the wilderness. How many times do we come from a moment, maybe a moment like last week, if there's some of you here, I'm looking at Bob who got baptized last week, and there's probably more of you that got baptized last week that are here today. How many of you, that was like this, Yes, moment. And if there was ever a moment, Kason, you know, you got baptized last week. You know, so there's this, there's this sense of, wow, what a, what a powerful, powerful event. And what can I expect? What's next, God? It might be a desert. It might be a wilderness. Why? Because God's crazy? God's mean? No, because that's the Jesus story. The Jesus story is from this moment of being called his son 
to being led into the desert. If you want to be a little Christ, if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to follow him into the desert. Ouch. We follow him into the desert. And may the Spirit of God give us the strength to respond the same way. To say when our appetites are being challenged and pushed, to say, I could reach for the eject button, I could reach for this thing or that thing that would fulfill the need and that would be much quicker and much easier and that's... Pornography is one of those easy out things. It's a real relational intimacy is tough and so I'd just rather that. And may God give us the grace to in that moment say, I do not live by bread alone. I depend on God. God, I depend on you. And in the moments where we say, okay, what about our work and how should I work? May the Spirit of God fill us with the courage to say, let my work itself be worship. Let my work itself worship you so that there is no division between what we sing in here and the way we make decisions out there. And when the moment comes, when we are feeling afraid about our protection, may the Spirit of God fill us with the strength to say, I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to use Him like magic. I want to trust Him. I want to trust Him. Dependence, worship, trust. That's how Jesus responded. If we're following Him, let's follow Him with that response. Amen? Sometimes I think it's... um, all about what we're paying attention to, you know? All about what part of the story catches us and are we going to fixate on a devil and a tempter or are we going to fix on the spirit and the word? I, uh, kind of a funny moment yesterday, Holly and I were, um, we were at the Life and Justice Conference yesterday, which was an amazing event. Was anyone at the Life and Justice thing? I think they're going to put a bunch of the stuff online, and really remarkable and disturbing. I mean, it's not just sort of this thing you go to. It's meant to sort of, and so we're wrestling through different things. But one of the things uh, they talked about was how a a lot of the cheap chocolate that we buy, uh, chocolate comes from different parts of the world, sure, but a lot of the cheap chocolate is supplied by um, cocoa plantations off the west coast of Africa where something around the number of 300,000 children are forced to work on these plantations and there's a story of a child that tried to run away and got his feet his foot sliced and say no you're, this is your lot and talk about God's work in God's way um, that, should have, that should make us think about the way we spend because if our only grid is how cheap is it uh, then who's paying the, who's picking up the cost for the rest of it yeah so part of doing God's work in, in not the devil's way means that we're not just saving money at someone else's expense, eh? But we are thoughtful about this. Well, so, so we're trying to tell Sophia and Nora this because they're going to wonder why we won't buy them chocolate at the store anymore. And uh, 
now we sort of regret this, but, you know, earlier last year or late last fall, we took, we were in Pennsylvania on a trip together, and we went through the Hershey factory, you know, so goodness gracious, you know, they make it seem like Disney. There was no pictures of child slaves and that. So we thought we should talk to them about this. So we started explaining to Sophia and Nora, I said, girls, we've learned that a lot of the cheap chocolate that we buy is made possible because there's children. And as soon as we said it, Sophia, you know, she's so empathetic. She's, her hands are on her cheek and she's, her eyes are troubled, you know. And she's like, oh, no. And Nora's sitting there and Nora's kind of looking at her, looking at us like, you know, how do I, she sort of gets it, but, you know. And, so, and then the, the connection comes on for Sophia, and she says, so you mean the Kit Kat bar that mom bought me the other day came from s- some slaves? And we said, well, maybe. And then there's this little pause, and Nora looks at us and she goes, mom bought you a Kit Kat bar? <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, well, you know, we'll... We'll try again, you know, another time. <laughs> and I think that's like us. You know, we go from here and we're like, yeah, well, I could pay attention to the wrong things. But may we be soaked in the Scripture that comes out of us like Christ. May the Spirit fill us so our dependence, our worship, and our trust is always directed at Him. Amen? So, Father, help us. Thank You that we are Your sons and Your daughters. Thank You that we belong to You. Thank You, Jesus, that we are following You. And Spirit of God, even as You may lead us, as You likely will lead us through deserts and wilderness in our lives, would You also fill us with the strength to depend on You courage to worship you in our work, to take our appetites and turn them into an occasion for dependence on you, to take our work and turn it into an occasion for worship of you, to take our concern with our protection and take it as an occasion to trust in you. This is something we all need. This is what I need. Spirit of God, do this in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. We'll continue the rest of Luke 4.